Everyday Theology, where we don't tell you what to believe or how to think, but discuss why people believe what they do and why it matters. On this journey, we will speak with artists, curators, influencers, and pastors. I'm Aaron Ross. And I'm Ben Gomez. Well, today on um, our podcast, I almost forgot the name of it. Is that bad? Everyday Theology, that one, yeah. We unless, have, it's, unless it's Yesterday Theology. Uh, okay. Ooh, <laughs> historical. Oh. That's right. Uh, well, we have a professor of historical theology with us making the historical jokes. Uh, we have Dr. Zach Tackett, uh, and we're excited to have uh, Dr. Tackett with us today. Um, Zach, if you wouldn't mind, kind of introduce yourself, tell everyone what you uh, teach, what you study. What you love? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I study church history and its theology. Uh, my specialization, though, is in the 20th century, so I don't know how historical that is, but it's somewhat <laughs> historical. Uh, but we get into... It's older this. than Ben and I, so... Yeah, there you it's go. History. There she goes. So it's history, and I, I'm, you know, I'm about as ancient as they are anyway, so... Um, so there, there we go, and I have enjoy with that. My specialization is American Christianity. Which is good because we need some specialization for American Christianity. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Jesus is King and uh, Kanye is the oh, topic just had of to conversation do it. right had now. Had to do it. And so as we talk about weird things in the history of the church, but uh, it's current news. <laughs> well, today we are talking about weird things in the uh in the, in the church altogether. So I thought, especially because today, well, at least the day that people will be getting this is Halloween, that we'll start off with a little fun one on some weird things that Christians have thought. And, um, you know, I think Ben and I have a very similar story here. As kids, we were not allowed to celebrate Halloween. No, It was no. the devil's playground, so that's to right, speak. That's right. Even though I did celebrate it as a, um, as a Catholic in New York City. Um, used to walk around my little jack-o'-lantern and just... Fill up the little candy, fill it up. And then when my mom became a, what we would consider a born again uh, Christian, she's like, oh, no, 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 no. That is the devil's day. We will stay home. Oh, turn off all the lights. That's it. To stay home. Shut turn down off the lights. All the, bring down all the blinds and nobody say a word. Let them think that we're not home. So yeah, when we, I dressed up as a devil, that was really bad then. Um, I don't I know. Could been, I could have been probably six years old, maybe at the time. Not me, but my mom would have rebuked you, laid hands on you, <laughs> sprayed you with the holy oil. Uh, oh. She would have done it all. So Man, um, I loved making my little devil co- costume. I had a little little pointy tail and all sorts of stuff and little little horns that stuck up. Listen, you're not going to get me in trouble with my mom. No, yeah. I, I mean, growing up as uh, a pastor's kid in the Pentecostal tradition, uh, we we couldn't do anything. I mean, you. You, you, of course, you couldn't go out and get candy, and that's all I wanted was to go out and get the candy. But we not only that, we had to turn off all the lights, same thing, yeah. make sure all the blinds were closed. Mm-hmm. If anyone came to the door and knocked on the door that night, Shh. yeah, you just pretend like you weren't there. We see you through the screen. <laughs> As opposed to our our family, in which our home was probably the most popular one because my mom was a fantastic cook, chef, whatever you are, and she would always make stuff for trick-or-treaters. Uh, one of the most popular was popcorn balls. Mm. 
Well, I to this uh, this day I would never accept that kind of stuff anymore. <laughs> Why? I don't want anyone's house baked to goods for Halloween <laughs> for candy. Real? Yeah, probably not. After all the uh, apples with yeah, razor there's a, things, and there's all. a few uh, weird ones out yeah. there. A few weird ones. Do you yeah. prefer the uh, bite size or you want the full size candy uh, yeah, bars? You know. Did you feel like you were gypped? I mean, obviously, I, I felt like I was gypped because I didn't you get probably to. Probably went trick or treating in high school. No, right? because my family moved to North Florida in the rural woods. So even if we did go trick or treating, you'd have to walk like the you moral know, of this story is: move to the woods, half a mile to the next house. That's right. You know, with Hansel and Gretel, there would be some goblins there. Well, I got this. I have this question for you, Doctor Tackett. Why? What made American Christianity go this way with this one? Has it always been? Is yeah, this a the, normal thing? I mean, I mean you said you you dressed up as a devil, so yeah. I, the uh, I think there's always been this struggle of these holidays that are have both religious and non-religious dynamics to them. I mean, Christmas has religious and non-religious dynamics to them. Uh, and so you have a Santa Claus and you have a nativity besides each other. And um, I think the concept of Halloween uh, in, in the years after Vietnam, America was not thinking wonderfully about a lot of things. And at the same time, uh, there was discussions within the Christian circles. What do we do with this uh, era that has been in, inflamed by, by jack-o'-lanterns and different things like that? And so it was the questions of, oh, is this a fun day or is this a d- devil's day? And so for there was a period of time says, oh, this is devil's day. Let's don't have anything to do with it. And there's been times I said, well, let's have fun and actually redeem it so that people enjoy it. And so that, uh, you know, and five-year-old kids really don't know the difference. Right. Yeah. I didn't know the difference. I mean, we went to, uh, we would, instead of going trick-or-treating, we go to a... Uh, Harvest party, harvest. right? Or harvest festival right at the church, which was still candy and still dressing like up. Like what modern terms is trunk or treat? Basically trunk like a, treat. A, a Christian trunk or treat, right? Like I know communities that do trunk or treat that aren't yeah. Christian, you know, but yeah. basically it, a Christian trunk right. or treat, right? In the 90s when malls were very, very popular, are there any malls exist at all anymore? Yes. Oh, Oh, well, I haven't seen it in a long time. But anyway. <laughs> I mean, I've only seen Amazon, so. <laughs> so the malls, each one of the stores would have candy. And so that was very popular in the 90s, uh, 80s and 90s, to send kids to the mall and then go around to the different stores who would, who would prepare, have candy for them. So, so what was the church's fascination then with, uh, I guess in some sense, the demonic, right? Like, I mean, yeah. that, especially growing up again in a Pentecostal circle, there was always this fascination with the demonic, like it was, there was, you know, demons and angels and what, what are those books called? Frank Peretti's books, right? This Present Darkness and stuff, dark. where it was constantly this like fight between good and evil as it, re- as it related to demons and angels. Uh, so why this fascination with that day? Because I mean, I think even growing up, I heard on Halloween, well, that's the day that the devil comes out to play, right? right? Like this kind of Ooh. stuff. <laughs> yeah. You scared there, Ben? <laughs> Well, you had, uh, I mean, the church has always had these dynamics. I I mean, I can get a little bit theological. I can go back and look at the the notion of of communities that influenced Christianity said that the the body was evil and the spirit was was spiritual, that your your spirit was spiritual, which is actually uh, just an old uh, Gnostic, non-Christian Right. Dynamic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, 
Well, then you've got some other weird ones for us, right? I mean, Halloween is a weird one. I think we've kind of starting to get over it as the church. I think I see more and more church people, especially people my age now having kids, wanting to dress up their kids and walk them around for Halloween. So I think we're kind of moving past that maybe as... um, our, our, I don't want to say our fascination, but our maybe our fear of kind of like the demonic spiritual divide is lessened in some sense. Maybe not the divide, but the, maybe the battle orientation that we have. But what are some other... I know as a church historian, you have some weird ones for us yeah, to... Yeah, a few uh, weird ones. Weird things that Christians have thought in the past that have how kind about, of faded away. How about away. going to the desert, setting up a pole or a pillar that's about 20 or 30 feet up in the air and just sitting there? And calling that spirituality. Not my form of spirituality. That's what I call what? that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the, uh, the, the stylites uh, were in the desert. Uh, they saw themselves moving away and as a form of physically mo- removing themselves from evil and sin. Yeah. Hmm. So to do that, they would just go to the desert, then set up a pole and sit, sit. sit there yeah. for how long? Uh, long time. As in days, months, or huh. even years. They like not people, even coming down. Not even coming down. People would bring them things. Uh, and that ended up, uh, others would have natural poles out in the desert. They Kind of like you see in the Grand Canyon, see the pieces in yeah. the middle. Uh, there is, uh, I believe it's in the state of Georgia, as in the the east, not the The country. Yeah, the country. Not the one with yeah, Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, that there is a, I read about a chapel that was built about a thousand years ago up on one of the, these poles, and it takes them 20 minutes to climb up to get there. And I'm wondering how they built the chapel there. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to reserve comment as to not offend people. But, uh, no, I want to hear it. What no, is it? No, I'm not going to offend people. But uh, it, it, um, I did something similar to that growing up um, when we left New York City. Uh, we just had a different terminology for situations like that. You know, we, we built little forts, you know, snow or tree houses or things like that. Right. So I think that every, you know, every kind of group dynamic community will do something that will allow them to escape some type of reality or something like that. So I can see, I can see them building, you know, a chapel on on top of a pole. I mean, yeah. It's, it's interesting. I think because, And I think as we're going to get through maybe kind of like sneak peek a little bit as we keep going through some of these weird things, it's always, especially even like Halloween, it's always an attempt in some sense to preserve one's spirituality or to grow one's spirituality. Mm. So we don't participate in Halloween because if we did that, it would go against the spirituality that I have that says I don't participate in evil things. Or maybe even sitting out in the desert and going, I don't participate in worldly things, so I just remove myself from the world right. and put, get myself to a place where they can't even reach me. Um, and I just think that ends up kind of coming out in weird ways. Right. But I think th- there's a lot of modern ways that kind of happens too, but I think we got some more historical ones to talk about yeah. still. Yeah. The, uh, one of them that I think we still have this today is uh, the flagellants, the Mm. Uh, the flagellant is a reference to uh, Jesus being uh, whipped. And there was a period during the Middle Ages that that became where people took that as a model and they wanted to identify with Christ. And so they would intentionally be whipped on Good Friday. 
Um, and there was even times where they would uh, be whipped during the entirety of Lent. Um, some of them would be uh, three times a day, two times in public, and one, one time in private. And you said this was uh, during the... Uh, it was during the late Middle Ages. Middle Ages. But you still see remnants of that here yeah. and there. My you know. father must have been a, a participant of this because he would whip me on <laughs> on Good Friday, Bad Friday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every day before Lent, after Lent. And so um, yeah, he I probably think, heard I a sermon on that. My, yeah. uh, my dad was definitely <laughs> a participant in this. Um, but what do you think drives um, people to do that? Is it yeah. is it the... They they want to feel the actual physical suffering to identify themselves right. for Christ. Right. Well, it, this is also a period of time where death was very prominent. You think of the Black Plague that would be in there. It, during this time was a time when when you would see crucifixes with with the very sorrowful Christ on it, with the head down. While later uh, you would see. Or even and before this, you would see Christ that would be uh, not on a cross, but kind of near the cross, going to the heavens, rising above. Uh, but during this time, you would see this sorrowful Christ that identifies with death. And so I think this was and showing that say, hey, we identify with the worst of life we had, uh, that that's around us. Which is interesting to think about because we still do that as a Christian practice today, maybe not the whipping of oneself, but trying to identify with Christ in other ways, such as, you know, the practice of baptism, right? Mm -hmm. Identifying with the death and resurrection of Christ through baptism and saying that this reality is my reality. Um, And I think it's interesting because if we think about it from outside of the church's perspective, it just seems weird, Right. Like I think, I think especially now that we're far removed from, you know, the middle ages, we think about someone beating themselves or even, I think I've seen it in the news before too. Every so often, if you just kind of catch the right news channel near good Friday, you'll actually see the people who are walking down the street in a procession beating themselves. We think, wow, that's so strange. That's so weird. That's so archaic, but even as the Christian practice, we still do something that's weird and strange and archaic. It just might, be, you know, dipping ourselves into water and kind of being raised back out. It it reminds me that in early Christianity, there was some uh, confusion, miscommunications and misunderstandings that they referred to Christians as cannibalists uh, because Mm, they took the Lord's Supper and they identified it by saying they were partaking of the body and blood of Jesus. And those that didn't know Christianity were saying, wow, those, those those are really strange people. Um, a, a, a weird one that I think we all know about, one that like we've like you probably hear oftentimes is kind of like expressed as like a, wow, Christians have done some pretty bad things in the past. Uh, the Crusades, yeah, right. Like I think it's easy for Uh-oh. us. I uh, know, especially like you know, growing up, my high school had to change their name from the Crusaders. Southeastern used to be known as the Crusaders. Yeah, back in the day. So was that the first um, mascot name or I don't I don't think so. It was changed in the neighborhood of the year two thousand. I don't remember the exact. Yeah, when I first got here as a student in two thousand five, there were still some Crusader things around. Wow. Uh, Mainly the gym, you know, basketball. But even even my high school was the Crusaders until we uh, became really spiritual and changed our mascot to the lion. The lion. The singular. No, no, no. Singular lion. lion. Right. The lion. Right. 
Uh, wow. But why? Why? What? What gave Christians the thought for the Crusades? Yeah. What well, you know it was the idea that God is King over all, and if Christ is Christ is King over all, and if Christ Jesus is King is over king. all, then there must be not only a spiritual encounter with people, there must be a physical takeover. Uh, and so there was this desire to return the Holy Lands to the rightful God, Jesus Christ. And we are physically going to do that. And, you know, we, we kind of do that, those things today that we kind of defend Jesus and saying that we can be, be the defender of the faith rather than the proclaimer of the faith. Yeah, I, th- I think it's interesting because, like, like all of them, again, just to reiterate, like all of them, they all are taking some kind of theological notion that might, in its base, be good, and then they end up kind of actually practicing them out in strange ways, right? So, pole sitters maybe be thinking of this like being in the world but not of the world, and the separation between the person and the world by going and sitting in a pole. You've got the crusades of Jesus being king. And therefore, if we're going to be good people, we're going to actually take back over the land for Jesus. We have to steward well, take dominion. Right. The picking up the cross daily, actually by picking up a cross and or whipping oneself so that they're all kind of theological right. notions. And, and if you think about those crusaders that we were the, these basketball and football teams were known as the crusaders. Uh, if we did that, we didn't know church history because we'd be calling ourselves the losers. Well, that's true too. Yeah, <laughs> oh, wow, that, that is true. <laughs> so, so what, why because the children's crusades? Crusade. The, the West lost most of the crusades. Why the children's crusades? Why? Why? How did that one kind of theologically they, kind of like come out that they way? They had lost. They had over a couple hundred years. There had been so many. There had been these crusades, and the Western Europeans were. Def- being defeated each time that they would go, uh, they ran out of soldiers. And so now they bring in the older children and younger adolescents, you know, beginning eight, nine, ten years old. They take them on the crusades. What was it? Was there any kind of theological notion behind it, or was it just purely? Oh, I'm sure there probably was. You always let make... the children come to <laughs> to, yeah. to me, and so they were like, "Hey, yeah. they're fighting for the king yeah. once again. Let's start them early and prepare yeah. him." And yeah, I'm not a specialist in that era of history. I'm but, not either. I was just we uh, we always make some stuff. Yeah. we okay. always make these theological reasons for stuff that we have yeah. to explain. I think there's some definitely some theological reasons that we can talk about, um, especially as it relates to something again kind of popping up in the news. You know, MacArthur, uh, this this old reformed white male uh, Calvinistic preacher looking at um, Beth Moore, right? Beth Moore, Beth Moore. Uh, looking at Beth Moore and telling Beth Moore, uh, not looking at her, but actually kind of in a conference being asked, "What do you think about Beth Moore?" And yeah. basically, he would have been really upset with. Pope Joan. Yeah, well, he, you know, he, like, uh, just to say, uh, he, uh. he, he tells Beth Moore to go home. Yeah. But I think that even though we are struggling with, uh, I don't think we as a church, I think for the most part, I think the church in America has actually has kind of turned a leaf towards being much more affirming towards women yeah. and the pastorate, even though Absolutely. we don't see it as much as we probably should. Absolutely. This is following been a, the model that Jesus <laughs> demonstrated, oh, right? No. I mean, 
Ben is definitely being sarcastic here. Let, just let just to get, be clear. Let me get just, very just, briefly. I made the mo- Well, I'm talking ju- about no no, I'm talking about Jesus affirming women and okay, women but being before we go oh, the, good, the good part of it. Okay, before, not the before, bad before, argument. No, the good no, argument. No, no, okay. Before we, we go are. to that, let me go back to Pope Joan really quickly. Yes. There was this rumor about of there being one of the popes that was a woman. Now, and for about a couple hundred years, they thought it was legitimate. It was in the late Middle Ages. It's not. There, there wasn't a Pope Joan, but there was a lot of talk about it. But uh, to, there was a while after that, too, that the uh, papacy made sure that they had males that were, that were in the papacy. That's an interesting— I'll let you all figure yeah. out how that might have taken uh, place. <laughs> I don't think I want to. Um, what about, um, I think there are some, some interesting things that we had even thought about. This is a really strange one, like maybe the Scold's Bridal. Oh, yeah. This was very, it, this is a leftover from the uh, Inquisition uh, in which uh, chatty women, uh, w- they put a bridle on them. Physically, you kidding it, me? No, I'm kidding. A me, metal and leather uh, piece that that made various ways that they would put. This didn't over. happen in the U.S. This was um, well, in Europe. It was in Europe. I don't know if it made it into the U.S. or not. Uh, it was certainly in in. Uh, yeah, it did make. It, it made it to the New World. It made it into New England. You, you've heard of the witch trials and yes. various things. Well, I lived. The, I lived. There you go. In Beverly, um, no Salem very well. There, there our rivals go. beat him every time when I was in high school. Yeah. Well, um, one of, one of the one of the things that they would do for chatty women that was that would speak out of place was to <sighs> was to to put a a uh, bridle a covering over their so that they wouldn't be able to talk. So terrible practice. What's the thought process behind it? Uh, that women are not to speak unless they are spoken to. Is this what? also kind of partially like a gossip? Do not gossip thing. I yeah, think that- it is. But it was all. It was also that you have your place in society, and if you don't keep it, we'll make sure you do. There's some weird stuff in history. I'm not, I'm not a fan. As this goes out to all our listeners, I just want to say that I am going to remain in silence as to not say something that might be misconstrued. But oh, like your I Jesus just want to comment. know who was, yeah. who was in power, who was, um, you know, what people group, um, what a description. Men. Um, you know... It's it's just it's interesting stuff, and I think this actually goes back to and maybe Zach can talk uh, to it a little bit. You know, I think about even some of the weird stuff like Augustine would think, right? Our good old Saint Augustine or Augustine, um, who even had this kind of like proclamation about men and women uh, as it relates to heaven, right? And that women, in order yeah. to actually get into heaven, they had to actually become men, right? They weren't allowed to a- be. Uh, there, Augustine, if you read his confessions, I mean, they're brilliant. And so a lot of his theology is just incredibly brilliant. But he carried on a Roman concept that women weren't quite fully human. And the way he explained that was that men were in the image of God. And women were in the image of God as long as they were with men, with their husband. They were related to the image of God as related to their husband. Effectively, 
men were image of God and women were the image of man. Uh, that's effectively, the, and that played itself out throughout the Middle Ages and even in, into today's thought. We think of John MacArthur arguing that women are not to, to speak in church. Uh, that same idea goes forward. Um, in the uh, Council of Tours, which is in 567, they made a statement that uh, women were deceptive and luring. They were like snakes who would shed their skins. Uh, just really horrible stuff. Uh, there were also, during this period, uh, women were not able to take a Holy Communion. They weren't able to take a, a Eucharist if they were pregnant or having their period because it was assumed that they were in sin during huh. this time. Yeah, like kind of going off All these off rules the... made by men. Yeah. White men. White men. Yeah, you had... had there weren't all of them that way. Pope Gregory rejected that. He said, no, no, no. The, uh, a child is of God, and the one who gives birth to the child is giving that which is of God. And so there were those that pushed against that, but that dominant view. And um, throughout the Middle Ages, you started getting notions of women as either the damsel or the witch. And we have stories that continue like Rapunzel is the story of the damsel. Uh, you have stories of Snow White, the damsel, and who is she tempted by? The witch with the apple. Hmm. Uh, and so there, these stories, they flow out of this Narrative. Poor narrative that's a poor treatment of, uh, of of women of women. And so, for our listeners who hear this, and again, you're giving us the historical, cultural context of those times yeah. on the 20th century and medieval times. And so, now though, for our listeners, how do we redeem and how do we view and what does Jesus? Oh my portray and show us yeah. about the treatment of women and women not going home, but actually being a part of ministry. Think of Mary of Bethany. Remember the story of Mary and Martha? Yeah. Mary is sitting at the feet, which is euphemism for studying theology. She mm. was studying to become a rabbi. Even though the culture would have said she couldn't be. Wow. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Mm. And Martha comes to Jesus, who she's studying with, and says, what is Mary doing? This is wrong. You've got to stop her. And Jesus said, no, she is doing what is right, and it will not be taken from her. Wow. Unfortunately, the church has often taken away from Mary of Bethany and many other women what wow. Jesus said was not to be taken away. What I find interesting about, especially biblical arguments as it relates to this, so many people want to go and look at Paul and especially a couple kind of quote unquote problematic texts. I mean, they are problematic when you kind of read them quote unquote plainly. That's a better way to put it. Right. First right? Corinthians 13 and how you decide to translate the phrase as with all the churches, whether you add at the beginning of the thought, at the end of the thought, if you know, just Google that if you're like, I don't know what that means, uh, you'll see kind of clearly how different translations deal with that. Ephesians 5, right? Uh, the Timothy passages about women. The hard part about it, I think, so much is you can you can show the context of these passages. You can show the context and the history that's going on with 
um, the story of Mary and Martha and kind of what it meant to study at the feet of or sit at the feet of, where you can talk about um, Paul telling Timothy to not allow the practice of the temple worship of Artemis into the church. And this is this proclamation of women should remain silent, uh, or for this reason, he doesn't let a woman speak. Um, but I, but at the same time, I don't think it ever kind of ends up hitting and holding weight because we start with a thought process of women can't be and haha, the Bible says they can't. So are you, um, just so I'm understanding you, um, professor Ross, are you saying that sometimes we take the words of Paul over the words of Jesus? And that we in the church maybe look at Pauline theology and writings as where we kind of stake our claim as opposed to what Jesus is modeling for us in no, the Gospels? I, I wouldn't want to say that. And I wouldn't want to say that because, first off, I think if we want to talk about Scripture as being Scripture, then there is no weighting of the Scripture, meaning the Gospel is weighted more than Pauline literature, which is weighted more than Old Testament literature, it's it's scripture. So I, I think we have to be All careful with together. right. I think we have to be careful with trying to say which one's prioritized over the other, at least in terms of quality and should overcome. Um, but I I do think what we tend to do is that we tend to actually take our theological stances and read them into the biblical text first. Yep. Okay. The, one one of the things I can explain think though in this prioritizing is what is Paul commenting on? And Paul is coming on, commenting on the notion of what it means to be a Christian. So what is it to be a follower of Christ? So to begin looking at follower of Christ, we do begin by looking at Jesus right? and see that Paul is commenting on this. We don't go and see Paul's comments as the propositional truths that cannot be moved and then fit Jesus to it. Okay. Uh, rather, we look at, see uh, what Jesus is saying about our life, and then how does how is Paul commenting on that dynamic? Yeah, I think I think the point here is is so much so that you know we started with all these kind of like weird things that Christians have done, kind of showing that they have these theological uh, thought processes that are then just played out in odd, sometimes strange ways, sometimes very harmful ways, especially as it related to women in the past. And yet today, I think we can still be unreflective of the way that we hold to some strange theologies that. Will will claim to find in the biblical text, but it's mainly because we've read those theologies into the biblical text. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, for for instance, the flagellants. I can argue that Jesus said, "Take up your cross and follow him." Right. So what do we do? We beat ourselves and we take up a cross. But I don't know that that's what he was saying, in the sense of being a flagellant. Right. And and I don't think I think for the for the most part, people are going to read that passage and they're going to want to say that's not literal right because they don't want to go i mean most people i think don't want to walk through the street beating themselves and picking up a cross right so we're not going to read that one as literal but we'll read other ones that's not in my best um interest interest no not me right no but you, I will silence you because <laughs> your viewpoint or what you have to bring, right. maybe. So, so, and as so many people have have said, right? A lot of times we kind of, when it comes to like what's literal or 
metaphorical in scripture, it's often just the picking and choosing of what's literal or metaphorical. If it seems too tough, we'll just make it metaphorical. If it seems too literal, maybe even like the story of Jesus with the rich young ruler who, you know, Jesus looks to that person and goes, Hey, give up everything, give up all of your money and come and follow me. And he turns around with great sadness in his heart because he has lots of wealth. And Jesus is kind of like, all right, goodbye. Like it's, it's harsh, right? If you read the story, it's really harsh because Jesus doesn't turn around and go, okay, wait a second. Let's start with like 10%. Let's start, let's start stretching let's that giving here. muscle and then we'll kind of get you up to a hundred percent later. Jesus is like, it's now or nothing. It's, it's now or never. It's all or nothing, right? Like this is how this works. And I think that when we read a passage like that, that becomes really tough. We just go, well, that's metaphorical. What do you have in your life that you're not willing to give up to Jesus? Well, we can argue for a lot of things, but we're not going to argue for a hundred percent of our money. Right. You know what I mean? And I think, I think that's kind of the point here with, with even talking about women in ministry is that we read into the text, a theology that's, that we can talk about a list of different weird things, whether it's Pope Joan or these bridles to make sure women didn't speak to, you know, proclaiming women were sinful because of their pregnancy, um, or even, even you know, the, the Samaritan woman at the well who gets proclaimed as an adulteress, even though the biblical text never calls her one. Right. Same thing with Mary Magdalene. She's, she's always portrayed uh, as a former prostitute, and there's nothing in the text that even comes close to that. Yeah, and it's, and it's because those things, those things kind of help craft the kind of narrative still of keeping women... At marginalized bay. and right. Sean and And so we just don't challenge them or they're just too hard to challenge or oh no, maybe that's just not you know, you just have it right. You just don't understand. Or we'll say something I think which is the worst thing to say often. Well, it just says it so plainly and clearly. That... So um just to go back now to the beginning a little bit, what are some things that I can tell my mom? that she will allow um, her grandchildren to maybe celebrate Halloween <laughs> or participate. I would say that is... Because be- I love candy and I love chocolate. I so. would say that is between you and her. <laughs> yeah, what? You don't have some good tips, though? I mean, come on, help me. We might have somebody right now that is listening and saying, yes, I need I, some help, I, too. I have... I have bought my... Actually, my wife has bought candy for us to give out this Thursday, so... Okay. What what you no, giving I, tracks out too or just candy? No, just candy. Just candy. Not okay. the, the fake hundred dollar bills. Or is it, yes, it's Thursday. Yeah, it's Thursday. It's Thursday. So, but here's the question. I mean, I guess for the listeners, it's today. Uh, oh, it's today or yesterday. You know, depending on if you're late. Um, but no, but here, but I think that question is a good question. What might be some practical, especially from seeing it from a church history perspective, the ways in which history, church history has shifted where we went from having weird thoughts such as women can't uh, take communion when they're pregnant to going, okay, this is wrong. They can take it. What are some of the kind of things that we can learn from history to say, here is how we actually start to challenge some weird thoughts that we've had or weird theology. And how do we help kind of move us into better theology? We have a tendency to codify our Christianity. And what I mean by is that is we take a dynamic says, how can I walk towards Jesus? And we try to make it in saying, oh, these are the things you have to do. Right. Um, 
you in, in American Christianity, it's it's don't smoke and don't drink and don't go to parties and the various different don't handle people that do right? yeah right that, that, that various things. What is behind that is the idea of I want to stay uh, pure, I want to stay clean, I want to do what is right. Uh, and that's what we need to proclaim. Let's do what is good, what is right, what is best for the other. To follow Jesus's statement of what is the most important is to gl- love God and love others. Uh, so that is the idea of what. how do our actions move towards loving God? How do our actions move towards lo- loving others? Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't have kids. I'm getting married. Right. So hey, I, I guess hey, I will be there to support you. Yes, you will. You got to buy that suit soon. <laughs> yes, I do. Um, it's already been bought. Uh, ooh. Uh, so, children, children. So right. thinking about thinking about children, you know, I know that's a discussion that uh, my fiance and I have had or have been in the process of having. How do we kind of help um, kids in the future, like our future kids, uh, God willing, mm-hmm. right? How do we help them kind of navigate the space that for sure my kids are not going to believe the same way I do. Yeah. And for sure that's not going to be the case because I don't believe the same way my parents do and my parents don't believe the same way their parents do, right? We're, we're constantly kind of renegotiating our theological processes um, every generation. And I think the problem, like you said, Zach, happens when we codify it so hard that we go to the lengths of going, well, Halloween is the devil's holiday, it's the devil's playground. It's the devil's celebration day. And no one ever will ever be able to celebrate this thing because this is what it is. When maybe it's not what that thing is to begin with, and maybe the next generation is going to come by and be like, this is nothing. This is this is point, This is is harmful. Like, let's just have fun. And, and let's love God and love people. I mean, I don't know how you do that with Halloween except for, you know, I don't know, caring for the people who come to your door. Yeah. Giving them candy. Yes. You know? And tell them what, what popcorn neat, neat and costumes they have. And cornbread. Creating and, community um, in yeah. so many ways that we desperately need creating community. So, yeah. Zach, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you. This is fast, fascinating. Uh, and somewhat horrifying discussion, I yes. think. Yes, sometimes some it gets that way, yes. <laughs> yeah. Happy Halloween, everybody. Happy, happy Halloween. Um, whether you celebrate with your kids by walking them around or not, I mean, I'm just kind of averse to it in Florida because it's so hot and humid still. <sighs> yes. I just don't want to yes. be outside yes. to it. But, yes. you know, we'll have some candy. Or I don't even know if there's kids in my neighborhood, but we'll have it ready. Or maybe what some people do is you don't celebrate it, but you go out and you bite all the candy, and so you have a little Halloween party in your house. Don't, don't <laughs> have walk, friends that do that. Don't walk on the streets so that people will run over you. Yeah, let's <laughs> be safe. Be uh, safe. But thanks so much for being with us, Zach. We appreciate it, and uh, we will. We will. I don't. I was going to say talk with you all later, but I guess we're going to talk later, and you'll listen to it later. So yeah, thank you for always uh, tuning in and listening to the podcast. And if you have a second, take a moment to uh, subscribe to follow us, whether it's on Spotify or Apple Podcast, and rate and review us. It just helps people find us and uh, follow along in our discussions. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm.